Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. But really the goal is for us to raise them in a way that they ultimately become totally dependent upon God. And so it's not that dependent stops, it changes the direction. And if we have uh, hopefully pointed them toward the Lord, we pray over them and we continue to engage them in healthy conversations and we seek to be the example God wants us to be. And when we blow it, we admit it, we own up to our sinfulness and you know do whatever is appropriate and right and all of that, the desire is, is that they will one day walk with the Lord and they will grow in that relationship and it will never stop. That's David Gudgel, and he's our guest today on Focus on the Family with your host, Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John, as a parent, one of the main goals uh, you're working toward is launching your child into adulthood, Mm -hmm. right? We talk about that often here, and I'm excited about this topic today because I'm right there. Uh, Trent is launched. He's out on his own and doing well, and Troy is launching, and uh, (laughs) so it's kind of right where we're living. Mm -hmm. How about you? Well, we've had, uh, they're all out of the house for the moment. We've had bounce backs, and uh, there's a really interesting sense of being empty nesters sort of on and off again as kids come and go. (laughs) I do enjoy my adult kids. It's a really wonderful season. I just don't see them as much as I'd like because they're, well, they're kind of independent now. They're doing their thing, Exactly. It's a good uh, thing. But what a great topic, and it is is the heart, I believe, of all of us as parents. We want to launch our children well into adulthood. We're going to cover that today. It's one of the examples of how Focus on the Family is here for you, and we are a huge resource center. So Mm -hmm. if you're not quite at that point yet of launching your kids, you're still dealing with maybe five, eight, 12-year-olds, we have a lot of content for you in that Mm -hmm. space too, so just get a hold of us. But today, it's actually fun to kind of talk about a topic that we're living in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Dave Gudgel is with us to share his insights and wisdom and experiences. He uh, successfully launched uh, three uh, children into adulthood. And uh, he's going to help you and especially your teenager (laughs) look to the future with hope. (laughs) Um, And Dave is the director of church health for Northern California's Venture Church Network. He served as lead pastor for 40 years at a number of churches located in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Phoenix. Uh, He and Bernice have three children and they have 11 grandkids. And Dave is the author of the book, Just One More Thing Before You Leave Home. We have copies of that here at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or just give us a call, 800, the letter A in the word family. Dave, welcome back to Focus. Thank you. It's good to be back. Good to have you. And uh, okay, so uh, you're the dad, you've got three kids, you're going to launch the first one, and the night before the, the goodbye, you decide to do something. This is such a funny story. Both Gene and I were laughing when we read this. Well, yeah, I had no idea that it was going to turn out to be what it did. Otherwise, maybe we wouldn't have had the meeting. Well, paint the picture for everybody listening and watching. What what was happening? What was your goal? What did you decide to do and how did it go? Well, it wasn't unusual for us as a family to have family meetings, you know, and so... <laughs> Kids uh, love those, but oh, yes. <laughs> you know, we planned one around Brent, our oldest, leaving home 
and he was about ready to leave the next day. So we're thinking, let's all get together and we can at least pray together. And Bernice was on board for that part of it. Yeah. But then I introduced the, so why don't we share something that we want Brent to know that we love about him and, you know, things like that. And oh, that turned into a nightmare. I mean, Because really. why? Everybody well, just it tears. Was, and... It was great. I mean, here are the stories, but good old dad was sitting there just bawling. <laughs> through the whole experience. I mean, all I could think about was tomorrow it's going to be different. We're going to drop him off at college, you know, and this is all going to change and we're not going to have this wonderful feeling that we have You're right going through now. a moment here. Okay, and I, I love a humorous way of describing that, but we can all relate. To some degree, you do that. It's an emotional moment, right? Maybe not so much for the child leaving. They're kind of excited, yeah. right? But for us as parents, our lips are quivering and we feel like it's the end of an era and oh my goodness it's all over but fear not parents it's not all over (laughs) your parenting will continue just in a different way let's uh, rewind the tape though because you uh you know we often draw on our own experiences about how we left the nest so to speak when you left your mom and dad uh you went to college you kind of had some struggles what was going on there this is like every parent's nightmare when the flat tire, so to speak, is occurring with the one you just launched. And you kind of experienced some of that as a adult young person, correct? Well, I was sure that the problems I was having were directly connected to me living in the home. So I figured <laughs> as soon as I left home, everything was going to be great. You know, I didn't have enough wisdom to know that the person that I was going to move in with next uh, who was a few years older than me, and he had already done the apartment thing and all of that, was going to uh, implore me to do chores as a part of living in the same home that he was living in. Sounds so, like dishes. <laughs> yeah, those kinds of things. And toilets, too. I guess that was, you know, he figured if I get somebody who's going to live here with me, they got the toilet duty and carpets and other things. But I had no idea. So I wasn't thinking in that direction. All I was thinking was, boy, freedom. I'm going to leave home and life is going to be great. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't do a lot of preparation, uh, yeah. my parents and I. We, we really never sat down and talked about what life is going to be like. And so I guess some of it just came out of that in terms of what I hope to help our children with. The the more serious end of this is when your children leave the nest. I mean, especially those that are going off to perhaps like a four-year college or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's a, you know, there's a lot of party environment. Yeah. They may be going to great Christian universities, mm-hmm. but guess what, mom and dad, I know, I know you know it, but you know, those things are still going to occur in those environments. Um, I have heard from many, many parents that have had good experience with their kids at uh, Christian universities. Again, nothing's perfect, but there's at least a framework and uh, you know good clubs, et cetera, for kids to be plugged into. But speak to that downside. Um, that's what we're here to talk about. When the moral dilemmas are being faced, do I, you know, the the drinking aspect could even be drugs and premarital sex and all those kind of critical decisions that could really run your life into the ditch. How do we prepare for that as parents? What do we say in that context? How do we talk with them openly so they know they can trust us and talk with us about some of the dilemmas they're facing? Yeah, we stumbled through that as well, not knowing uh, what to talk about with our children, but we knew we needed to have 
some conversations that hopefully would help prepare them for what we knew they were going to face. And that's where we began to just put together some topics that last year or two that they were in the home, like what you're talking about, Jim, with the matter of morality and issues that they're going to face with drinking or uh, drugs or whatever it might be. Yeah, and it, but, it may not be that serious, hopefully. You know, that'd be a great thing. But many parents do face kids that leave and they've got their freedoms and they're making choices that really break your heart. And how do you stay connected with them in that moment? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you navigate that as a parent? You know, and I think, Dave, I think you'd agree with that. You got to keep that communication open. And you got to keep that lifeline together with them and keep encouraging them, loving them as God would love us. And, and still, you know, hopefully being able to consult with them about, you know, how important the decisions. I'm telling my boys already, man, you are going to make the most important life decisions in your 20s. Yeah, and that's where we begin the book, actually, is with the whole matter of choices, is you help them try to think about now the choices are going to be in their lap. I mean, there's been a transfer in some way where it was our choice, then it was our together the choice. You know, I say our in terms of it was the parent's choice, and then it's hopefully the child's choice along with you. But then now you're basically saying, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can have conversations that last year or two about those specific areas that we know they're going to face without lecturing them, this is an important matter right now, you know, because as you're suggesting, Jim, you've got to build the relationship. And uh, building the relationship that last two, three years that they're in the home is an essential part of having a continuing relationship once they do go and uh, off to college or wherever it is. Yeah, I, we joke because so often our, our repertoire has been as they go out to be with their friends while they're, they've are they been at home with us, you know, on a Friday night, a Saturday night. Well, remember, be smart. Use the brain God gave you. <laughs> and I mean, now it's gotten to don't forget to breathe oxygen. <laughs> I mean, you, you can go through a list of the out-the-door exit that gets a little humorous in itself, right? And finally, you're... 17, 18 year olds looking at you like, duh. I don't need repeat that language for you, Dad. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I mean, so you've got to kind of broaden that that list, right? Yeah. And so (laughs) what I've done in the book is I've actually given you 30 topics, 30, just one more thing. You know that just one more thing? Hey, I just got one more thing. (laughs) One for every month before they leave the house. (laughs) Yeah. Every day. It turned out to be 30. And and, uh, really, a couple of them were put into the book as a result of me testing this with parents and them coming back and saying, hey, could you get a couple chapters in the book on such and such? And all we're trying to do is surface conversations. So this can become a springboard of conversation for you. Yeah. Uh, however you choose to use that content. Be nice to sprinkle it throughout their senior year so mm-hmm. it's not all in one sitting, like yeah. the night before yeah. they leave. Let's oh, go over 30 things Could with lead you. you to tears. That <laughs> will never... Oh my. Hey, hey, Dave, let me ask you. You touched on this about the roommate situation and chores in that context, but you also mentioned in the book three kind of simple rules for your son or daughter to remember to maintain um, harmony, relational harmony, when they move in with a roommate. What are those three things? 
Yeah, well, I just talk about the importance of first swallowing your pride and then... Is this a marriage book? What are we talking about here? (laughs) (laughs) In some ways, it's preparation for marriage because you're going to end up doing the same kind of thing. So swallow your pride. Obviously, there are going to be things that are going to happen that you could repair. You could have a part in repairing. And so somebody's got to take the initiative, humble themselves and say, well, can we talk about this? You know, or I, I really am at fault as well, whatever that might be. Uh-huh. Secondly, valuing your roommate enough that you would actually work the problem, work with the problem, work through the problem and uh, have a conversation. We talk about the elephant in the room. The elephant's there. Everybody sees it. Everybody's tiptoeing around it. But you really just got to take some time. You got to talk about it. And obviously, in Philippians 2, it talks about considering others' interests is more important than yourself. And that's a key area as Mm. well. Mm. In what way can you be a part of showing that you value them by how you handle the circumstance? Yeah. And Dave, in fact, you had a story about Sam, your roommate. I laughed because I think I had a similar experience in the dorm room. You know, dorm living in college is kind of interesting because it's like a you know, an eight by 12 foot space that we had and you have a bunk bed and two dressers and a small refrigerator and that's it. I mean, that was mine. The bathrooms, everything else are kind of, uh, you know, we were in the all men's dorms, so they were communal down at the end of the hall. So your room was small and living with the guy you just shake hands with when you show up at the campus. Hi, I'm your roommate. Okay. How's this going to work? How did it work for you and Sam? Well, he was a pile your clothes kind of guy. You know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah, I kind of know that guy. It, uh, <laughs> it always ended up in the same pile in the middle of the room. Oh, he didn't and, have more than one pile. Okay, I'm oh, not that guy. Yeah, he was the <laughs> one pile guy that just kept stinking. And not him, but the pile. And I was the guy that would not confront something. Mm-hmm. You know, how many of us are like that? We're yeah. not going to talk about it. We all see it's a problem, but we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> and finally, I just had it. In fact, uh, instead of talking to him, I went to talk to the dean or somebody else and found a way to go live in another dorm room. You just escaped. I did. <laughs> I mean, Let that's the next one way to deal with it. Right? Yeah. But I wouldn't say that's the best way of handling it. I you know, think... Sam's wife today is really in trouble oh, because boy. of you. <laughs> yeah. I, but anyway, sorry, you yeah. were going to say, not all the I, best way to handle it. All I know is that uh, it would have been a great opportunity to learn how to confront conflict and work yeah, through so yeah. that maybe we could get a win-win, as you suggested. I, I think that there are good things that you're going to learn in these kind of environments that could make you the person you hope to become. Yeah. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. My favorite thing about Brio is that you can actually absorb stuff from it and learn. Reaching teen girls right where they're at with encouragement to grow in their faith. The stories in the Brio magazine about other people that have gone through things way worse than I have is really inspiring and uplifting. Help your teen invite God into her everyday experience with Brio Magazine. Learn more at focusonthefamily.com slash Brio Radio. 
Hi, Jim Daly here. Today's culture deeply needs help, but in times like these, the light of Christ can shine even brighter. So be encouraged to share His light in this broken world. Listen to the Refocus with Jim Daly podcast. Without time limitations, I'll have deep, heartfelt discussions with fascinating guests who will encourage you to share God's grace, truth, and love. Check out the podcast at refocuswithjimdaily.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Dave, I want to ask you, you wrote in the book about um, in high school being on autopilot. I would think of every high school student on some form of autopilot. Well, I was just expressing the fact that I wasn't there. I was just showing up, going through the motions, and not really putting my heart into the experience. So... That's in some ways connected to my child upbringing and, you know, the number of moves. We moved so many times, and so it was hard for me to build friendships, let alone really get into the high school education experience. I really missed out on what high school could have been for me. Hmm. And it wasn't until college that I really got involved and invested in my education. Yeah. What do you do as a parent to help a child that is not transitioning well in that regard? Yeah. You know, they, they didn't have a great high school experience and you're trying to put your arm around them and say, hey, look look forward to college. and Or even the, the child that's not thinking college is for them. Uh, that could be a disappointment for parents who believe, you know, a college education is the way up. There's a lot in that statement, but what do you think of those things? I'm so glad you asked that because I had a mom who cared enough to be able to call that to my attention. And we had an experience just shortly after I started college because I was continuing at the beginning of college to do what I did in high school, just go through the motions. And one day I came home, mom could see that. My mom, by the way, uh, she was young 30-something. She had me when she was 16. Wow, okay. So a young 30-something mom to sit down with her son who's in his first year of college and, and put him on. We had a diving board in the backyard. She put me on the diving board over the water, and she sat on the side where the cement was, so I couldn't move. I was a captive audience. And she said to me, Dave, I'm not going to let you continue your education experience the way that you finished in high school. God has given you so much more. And I say that to say, you know, a defining moment like that can make all the difference in the world if you're already connected in some way to your kid. I mean, we didn't have the perfect relationship, but we had enough of a relationship that she could be able to call me on it and say, this really has to change. God used that moment. That's awesome. The other, I think the other thing, too, is how do you help that young adult, your son or daughter, discover God's purpose for their life? That's kind of that moment. It you is. You know, God gives you gifts, and your mom was calling you out on that, not to waste them. Um, speak to other examples of that where parents do try to discern you know, God's gifting in their son or daughter, and how do you pull that out of them? And, and, and really... You know, the greatest fear is is hopefully your child is walking with the Lord. That's a tough, you know, 20 to 24 is a tough time in this culture for your child to be a committed, faithful Christian person. They're going to take some shots for that. 
Yeah, and I think Proverbs speaks to that, where it speaks about training up a child in the way he should go. And that's not necessarily your way, but it's the bent that God has given your son or daughter, paying attention to the giftedness that God has given them, the talents, uh, the passion that they have for certain things. My parents saw that in me with regard to sort of technical kind of things, like wood shop and metal shop and auto yeah, shop that's okay. and drafting and all of that. I love to do those sorts of things. And so they were there affirming me. Mm-hmm. They didn't affirm me with history and chemistry and the other things that I just did right. not do well with, but they were there affirming me. And then as I took steps in that direction, Uh, When there were deviations, even in my mind, of how that was going to work out, they were still there trying to help me sort it out. Sure. In fact, in the book, you you speak to um, that spiritual um, encouragement being of three dimensions. What are those dimensions? I think you mentioned upward, outward, inward. Yeah. So focused, first of all, on God. And what is the Lord saying in your life right now? How is he leading? What are the desires he's given you? Psalm 37, 4, he will give you the desires of your heart. So pay attention to that. That's the upward focus. The outward focus is this love for other people, growing in a relationship with others so that you're learning to love them like Christ loved the church. And that obviously means a lot of things. Sacrifice would be at the very center of that. And then, you know, there's the focus toward yourself and understanding the person that God made you to be and willingly stepping into what might that completely be. You know, I ended up in ministry as a pastor, not because I had this early calling. I felt I was being called toward architecture, but my parents saw the changes in me. And when I brought that to their attention, they were still willing to say, Hey, well, let's go with it. We'll do whatever we can to support you. Oh, that's so good. Um, Also speak to success and failure. That's something in your 20s you're going to hit. And I think right now there's such a crippling effect about failure. You know, young people, they're just not as resilient as I think young people used to be. It sounds like the I walked uphill to school both ways, right? But there is something seemingly a little more lacking today with resiliency, bouncing back after failure. Speak to the need to do that and how you do it. Well, I'm so glad that God knows we're going to fail. He didn't, when Jesus was with Peter, you know, say to Peter, you know, the problem is you failed too many times. We're done. But he expected and worked with Peter's failure. God works with our failure. There's something there for us to learn, something there for us to be changed by. And so don't look at failure as the end of whatever it is that God's going to do with your life. This could be the beginning of a course correction, a new direction, and God's going to use that to help you get to the place that he wants you to go. But you got to, again, stay connected to the Lord in this process. Yeah, so many business, you know, I did a business degree, and in there is fail fast and fail often so you can get to success, right? Mm -hmm. That's not a bad thing to help your kids better understand. And I think, again, in your 20s, you're trying probably two, three, four, five different vocational things to see where your gifts really fit. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's very rare today that somebody starts with General Motors at 18 and ends at 65 with General Motors. Uh, Dave, when you were in graduate school, you faced kind of a tough situation. What happened and how did you overcome that problem? Yeah, in uh, graduate school, which was seminary, uh, my mother died unexpectedly. Oh, she had to be young. Yeah, she was 42. She 
had been sick, but we didn't know she was that sick, and she never really went to the doctor to find out, but she died of cancer. Mm. And so we went through that experience, and that was a life-changing experience. And as we just talked about failure and that whole area, there's still something, even in the midst of that kind of experience, for us to learn and to grow through and and to be changed by. And it was a life-changing thing for me. Uh, I still remember a pastor came over and prayed for us, our family. And I don't remember a whole lot of things that he said, but I remember this. He, he prayed, Lord, help them not ask why this has happened, but what it is that you want to do in their life and help them remember who you are now. Mm. And I thought, wow, yeah, that's what I need right now because we typically ask the why question in the midst of grief or pain or suffering or whatever it is. And it's an okay question to ask. I mean, even Job asked the question in the midst of his suffering. But hopefully that's not what we stop. We turn to God. We ask for his help. He can come in those circumstances and meet us at our point of need. He is an ever-present help in our times of trouble. Yeah, that's so good. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, one of the things that we need to cover with our kids before they leave is that balance of them becoming more independent from us and more dependent Mm -hmm. upon God. This is probably the right place to land. Um, That's so critical because we can – I could see me having too big a role in the lives of Mm -hmm. my boys, if I could say it that way. And I don't want to replace that role that God should have. And I need – it's kind of like I need to diminish so he can increase, right? On, on their dependability, what they need. Um, speak to that balance of if you're an engaged, loving father or mother, how do you let God begin to take control of those 20-something young people and trust him for outcomes? Yeah, this is such an important matter because we tend to think the whole goal here is to raise them to be independent of us. And we totally understand that in some ways financially, you know, in other places like that. But really, the goal is for us to raise them in a way that they ultimately become totally dependent upon God. And so it's not that Mm. dependent stops. It changes the direction. And if we have uh, hopefully pointed them toward the Lord, we pray over them, and we continue to engage them in healthy conversations, and we seek to be the example God wants us to be, and when we blow it, we admit it, we own up to our sinfulness and you know do whatever is appropriate and right and all of that the desire is is that they will one day walk with the lord and they will grow in that relationship and it will never stop yeah may it be so Mm. i mean that's so true dave this has been so good and i hope uh folks listening and watching will especially if you're at that point or if it's coming uh, good to read this ahead of time. If your child's in their teen years, early teen years, I'd get this now and start reading it Absolutely. and start drip irrigating these concepts into your child so that when they are leaving the house, they already know the answers to the questions. That'd be awesome. I wish I had this a few years ago. Just one more thing before you leave home, a great book by Dave, and uh, we can get this in your hands, and we'd like to do ministry together. So if you can make a gift of any amount, either monthly or a one-time gift, we'll send you a copy of Dave's book as our way of saying thank you, really on behalf of the families you will help by obtaining the book through Focus on the Family. Contact us today, ask about Dave's book, and make a donation as you can. Our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family. 
800-232-6459. Or stop by the website. It's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com slash radio. Mom, you said that we're not allowed to be playing down in the creek and Wesley is down there catching tadpoles in it. Now, I've told you that Alex is my theatrical child, yes. so you could always tell exactly what she was thinking. I could tell she was totally thinking so. What are you going to do about it, and can I watch? (laughs) Ginger Hubbard talking about a challenge she had with her daughter and how we as parents can sometimes get off track and lose sight of the bigger picture. This is Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and Jim, it seems that despite all the good books and resources... You have to kind of learn on the job as a mom or a dad, and we can laugh about those mistakes in the past, but when you're in the thick of it, oh my goodness, it can be frustrating. John, the two of us, of all people, know that book smarts only go so far, right? <laughs> we sit here every day with great guests, and many of them talking to us about parenting, mm-hmm. and then we got to go home and apply it. And good luck with <laughs> and that. I would only say, <laughs> who hasn't made mistakes in parenting their kids? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just part of life. Uh, Ginger Hubbard is back with some great advice for parents. And she's been uh, well-received by our listeners, you, and I think you're going to enjoy once again hearing from her, her wonderful book, I Can't Believe You Just Said That. Love the title, by the way. And I think it is packed with biblical wisdom to help parents do the job well. Uh, She wrote the book to provide a toolbox for parents to use in training up a child uh, with Scripture, and I'm looking forward to it. So let's get to it. Ginger, welcome back to Focus. Thank you. It's great to be back. All right. uh, You heard the setup there. Uh, Parents are imperfect, aren't they? That's right. <laughs> Let's no, all kids not. are too, read, for the record. Yes, Even yes, perfect yes. parents are imperfect. That's right. That's right. Uh, what one of the common mistakes that we can make is threatening our kids too much. I mean, that's one of maybe bribing them. Mm-hmm. There's always those things. Mm-hmm. Why is that not a smart approach? When we fall into the traps of things like bribing and threatening and, and repeating counting. or and counting to three, that's why I named my <laughs> first book, three. Don't Make Me Count to Three, because that was my favorite one. Uh, <laughs> when we fall into those traps, it really um, keeps us from getting to the heart of the issue, because those things, if you think about it, they may manipulate the child's behavior to some extent, but they fail to reach the heart. So that's why we don't want to fall into those. And you know, like threatening. You brought that up. Um, you know, usually, I would. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> probably my go-to thing. Yeah, we've all done that. I've done that too, and I'll share a story about that. But threatening usually comes after we have repeated our instructions several times to no avail, and so we pull out the big guns, something 
looking like if you don't start sharing your toys right now, I'm going to send them all off to kids who will share. <laughs> but see, that teaches them that mom or dad do not mean what they say. Let me let me dissect this a little bit. Mm-hmm. First of all, why do we as parents, you know, mm-hmm. brilliant as we are <laughs> as adult parents, why do we say something that's so utterly ridiculous that not even our kids believe it? I think a lot of the times we fall into these traps of saying things like that and counting to three because disciplining our children is unpleasant. We don't want to have to discipline our kids. So we find ourselves throwing out threats and throwing out bribes and counting to three because discipline, let's face it, it's unpleasant. Right. I know of nothing harder when my kids were growing up. I knew of nothing harder when my kids were growing up than administering consequences. To administer consequences on somebody that we love so much, we don't want to see our kids suffer consequences. It's unpleasant (laughs) for us, and it's unpleasant for them. So we try to avoid that. But Hebrews says, there is no discipline that seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And that's so good. You alluded to this, but it's almost like the short-term gain of the win blinds us to the long-term importance of developing the character. So we get them to clean the room or we get them to eat their green beans, Mm -hmm. but we fail to understand that we may have missed it by all the threats. Now, one of my biggest threats, I can remember being at Disneyland. Yes, we did. The kids were probably like eight and six, and we had a little problem, a little meltdown. Mm -hmm. Of course, my big threat was, you will never come here again. (laughs) <laughs> we, right. You know, not a smart one either because right. we, right. at that time, you know, enjoyed going to Disneyland more often than we should probably. Right. Now, you had one with your, your grandparents became the threat. Yes. <laughs> My kids spent the night. It was so wonderful. They had wonderful grandparents. My parents are just amazing. And so once a week, they would have my kids spend the night with them. And it, you oh, know, it was wonderful. I'm jealous. I know. And That's so great. they have a really close they, relationship with them. Are they taking reservations for other people? <laughs> they love kids. They probably would. But, yes, I remember um, one day I had been telling the kids all day that they needed to hurry up and get their rooms cleaned up. And they were just procrastinating (laughs) and just not doing what I was telling them to do. And so I pulled out the big guns. I threw out a threat. And I said, if you guys don't hurry up and get these rooms cleaned up, you are not spending the night with Nana and Papa tonight. Okay? I knew good and well I wasn't about to forfeit my night with no kids. <laughs> that was more about you and your yes, husband. Yes, <laughs> in order to follow through with that threat. And so, you know, in Matthew it says, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no, because anything beyond that is going to cause confusion. That means that we have to think before we speak. We need to try not to say yes or no to something or issue that warning or that command unless we're certain that we want to follow through with it. Right. And then so it's before, not a threat. Before you speak. Make sure you're going to follow That's through. right. That's always a good rule. That's right. So if you're going to tell your kids, if you don't start sharing your toys right now, I'm going to pack them up and ship them off to 10 buck too. You better follow through with <laughs> so, it. So did they go to the grandparents' house or not? They did. Okay. I didn't follow through on you my threat. <laughs> well, outing her. You just yeah. caught me. See, and I, and I read all the parenting books and even wrote a couple of them, but I still fell into yeah, some of these traps. We That's all good do. to hear, actually, Ginger. Yeah. Hey, uh, you mentioned the three-step plan for taming the tongue. Uh, mm-hmm. Some may know about that, but describe what that is. Okay. There's three steps that is pretty much forms the common denominator of every chapter in the book. Every chapter is like a different tongue-related offense, like lying, <laughs> whining, tattling, 
um, you know, everything that I could think of. And so step one is heart probing questions, because when we ask those heart probing questions, that helps our children to evaluate themselves rather than us just telling them what their problem is and what they ought to do about it. Because that, yeah, because that hinders them from learning how to think like a Christian. You know, let's punch this point here Mm -hmm. because I've heard from a number of experts here at the microphones that Mm -hmm. uh, avoid the lecture and go to the heart probing questions. Mm -hmm. You're saying exactly that again. Yes. And uh, unfortunately for parents, again, we have to control the urge to go to the lecture Right. To tell our children all our wonderful wisdom, which is plentiful. Right. And then and then to go to the questions, yes. much like Jesus did. Isn't That's that what interesting he did. that Jesus that exactly, asked a lot of questions? He did. Not that he didn't know the answer. Right. I mean, come on. Yes. He was doing that to benefit the listener. That's right. And Think Jesus, it through. And, yes, and Jesus was a skilled heart prober. He knew how to ask those questions in such a way that it would cause the people to take the focus off of the circumstances and the situations around them and onto the sin in their own heart. So that's what we're going to do. And also, when we ask those heart probing questions and our children have to evaluate what's going on inside them, that helps them to not only recognize what's there, but also take ownership for the sin that's in their heart. And that's going to help them ultimately recognize their need for Christ. So the heart probing questions, that's so much better than just pointing our finger and and giving this lecture because that helps them to think like a Christian. When we just always tell them the answer and what they ought to do about it, we're hindering them from learning how to think like a Christian and they can become handicapped in the area of discerning matters of Mm -hmm. their own heart. Yeah. Uh, Age appropriateness has to play into this, obviously. Mm -hmm. I would think some parents, they linger uh, a little too long with those question types, Mm -hmm. like what you would ask an eight-year-old wouldn't be a 16-year-old, but I can hear a few moms, maybe some dads, who are still maybe treating that 16-year-old like an eight-year-old. So speak to the differentiation of age-appropriate questions and how you do that. Okay. All right. Well, let's say that um, a child disobeys, a young child, because that's pretty much the first thing they're going to do wrong, is that you don't have to teach them how to disobey. That comes naturally. They come pre-wired for that. That's right. So they're going to be young when they start that. So just two or three very simple age-appropriate questions might be, honey, did you obey or did you disobey? Again, that helps them to take ownership and right, even they have they, to even, think about it. Yeah, and even if they don't answer it, even if you have to answer for them, they're still contemplating that question, and, and they're still answering it in their hearts and in their minds. And then maybe how did you disobey so that they actually have to verbalize, or if they don't answer, again, don't get into a power struggle, answer for them. All right, so let's go a little bit older and say uh, disrespecting. You know, when they start getting into the preteen, teen years, that's pretty common. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yes. That one? Yes, that, that, yes. You are friends with kids that age, right? Yeah, right. I've experienced that a couple times. Yeah, so, you know, say that a child speaks disrespectfully. The typical parent is going to say something like, that was disrespectful. No TV for you tonight. Now go to your room. And see, they think they've done well because they have identified exactly what it is the child was doing wrong. He was being disrespectful, and they gave him a consequence for it. But... We need to not only do that, we need to teach them not just what is wrong, but what is right. So you would want to have the child not just suffer the consequence, but to come back and practice communicating 
the right way by using the appropriate words and the appropriate tone of voice. And for many kids, particularly mine, as they grow into their teen years, the appropriate facial expression. <laughs> appropriate, yeah. 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 We're getting down to the nonverbal. Yes. That's right. No, that's good. So, and that kind of moves into the two-step plan in that we it's never enough to tell our children what not to do. We always need to take it a step further and teach them what to do, how to replace what is wrong with what is right. And that step one is the heart probing. Steps two and three come from that verse in Ephesians that says that we are to put off our old self which is being corrupted by deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of our mind and to put on our new self. See, when we correct children for wrong behavior but don't follow through and training them in right behavior, we will exasperate them Mm -hmm. because we're not teaching them what to put on. We're just teaching them what to put off. And I think about that verse in Corinthians um, 10.13, I think, 1 Corinthians 10.13, that says that when we're tempted, God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Hmm. So again, when we only correct our children for wrong behavior, but don't train them in the right behavior, don't follow through with that most important step, we're going to exasperate them because we're not providing them with that means of escape. We're not giving them that way out. And according to the scripture, that sort of neglect can provoke children to anger. That is really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is really good. It, let's get practical. I okay. mean, lying is probably one of the most common things children will do, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to be caught, right? Right. Whether it's hand in the cookie jar, and you can speak to that age-appropriate lying yeah. modality, yeah. but um, do that. What's uh, the typical lies that parents should be uh, concerned about? Maybe all of them, mm-hmm. but uh, give us a degree of the lie and then how to respond to that. Okay. Well, and I remember, I I think I've touched on this last time when we were uh, on the show together, but I I don't think I went into a lot of detail about a lie that I caught my daughter in. She was probably, I don't know, maybe four years old. And one thing about my daughter, Alex, is she loved to play dress up and pretend. And I encouraged her to do that. And she's now an actress. So all that drama paid off (laughs) and dressing up and pretend. And she loved to um, involve our little Yorkie, our little Yorkshire Terry and a lot of her shenanigans. And I allowed her to do that because he was very, you know, he would pretty much go with anything. But one thing that Alex knew that she was not allowed to do, very clear in knowing she's not allowed to do this, she was not allowed to get into my makeup bag and play with my makeup. And so when Mickey, our little Yorkie, comes prancing into the kitchen with (laughs) lipstick on, it wasn't hard to determine who was behind it. And so, but Alex, she lied about it. You know, when I asked her, how, how is it that Mickey came to have rosewood lips? She uh, just all of a sudden says very confidently, Doug did it. Doug. Okay, Doug. So let me tell you about Doug. Doug is a three inch tall caped action figure that came in a kid's meal. And so Doug did it all by himself. And so oh. I said, Alex, I did something that is another thing that we shouldn't do with small children, which is try to reason with them. And I said, Alex, Doug did not do it. Doug is not capable of going and getting my makeup out and putting it on Mickey. So I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt because I don't want to think that she's lying. So I'm like, were you just pretending? Did you and Doug go and maybe you helped Doug get the lipstick out of the bag and put it on Mickey? Nope. Doug did it all by himself. And so after I try to reason. She was standing her ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so after, and then what they do, then they dig their heels in deeper and they keep having to tell more and more lies to cover the original Mm -hmm. lie. So after I try to reason and explain that Doug could not have done it by himself, she says, 
Oh, yes, he can, because I put batteries in him. <laughs> I mean, that's some serious thinking She's right thinking there. It She's through. really yeah. trying to cover her, her tail here. So <laughs> anyway, but that was... So what was the end she result? Did she finally red. fess up? She did. She was caught red-handed. And, um, you know, and I just talked to her about how... You know, who is the father of lies and who is the father of truth? And then I also talked to her about the relational consequences of lying. You know, the foundation of the family relationship is built on trust. And when that trust is violated, the foundation of that relationship crumbles. And so I said, that's why in the Bible, it, God really wants us to always speak truth because not only does it honor Him, but that also keeps our relationships right when we trust each other. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, God promises to intervene when we pray, seek His face, and turn from our wicked ways. And as we approach Independence Day, will you join me in praying for our nation, praying for our communities, praying for our families, and especially praying for our pre-born babies? You can download your prayer guide at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash PrayForAmerica. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Pray, the number four, America. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let's move to that little more serious situation. Maybe it's 13, 14, 15-year-old, mm-hmm. and they're having a difficult time to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. That conversation's a little different. Mm-hmm. Who and were well, you with last night? What did you do? And you find out that they lied. Well, first off, we need to make sure, be certain that they're telling a lie. To, right. Because to accuse a child of lying who, in fact, is telling the truth, that's going to be very discouraging and to damaging. them. And damaging. And we don't, the last thing we want to do is to make them feel like that we have this ongoing, suspicious expectation of them lying. And, you know, if we do, in fact, know that they're lying, another thing that we don't want to do is to call them a liar. We don't want to label them a liar. Right. You know, we want to talk about who they are in Christ. And so, you know, you would say something like even that older child, you know, you told a lie, but you are not a liar. That is not who you are. You yeah. are a forgiven child of God. And because of his grace, just like me, you can walk in truth. And we're all going to blow it, and, but we need to be willing to confess when we blow it and, and face the consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's a probing question? For to the kinda, older child? For the older child to say, did you understand how that may have hurt your friends or those around you? Right. That's Something a good, like that. that. That's a great question. Did you understand how that would hurt your reputation? Right. Right. You know, how does that represent you to other people when you tell a lie? You know, we are also ambassadors of Christ, who is truth. You know, God is truth and we are his ambassadors. So we need to be representing Christ. And so when we tell a lie, you know, you might ask that child who tells a lie, do you think that that was a good reflection of who you are in Christ to that person? Yeah. And and also, how do you think it made the other person feel yeah. if the lie did involve and hurt another person? Always try to put that child in someone else's shoes if you knew that That's the good. lie could have hurt them. Develop empathy yes, and those kinds of things. Yes. I think the other thing, the other challenge a parent has there is how to be light-handed with it. You know, you can ask two or three good questions, but yes. then you need to walk away. 
right. and let the child think, not right. just keep pummeling. And now let's it, go to the lecture. Yeah. Now that I've asked you yes. three great yeah. questions, yes. let me give you my five-minute lecture. Um, you've got to be able to pull back, right? Right. And, and give and them space. That's right. And sometimes they need, no matter what they've done wrong, whether it's lying or defying or, or whatever, sometimes they need some time to ponder it. So ask them those questions and then maybe have them go to their room and, and take a little time to ponder what they did, what they should have done instead. And even with, with lying, um, you want to have them come back and talk about what they should have done instead. Yeah. And, you know, also we need to be willing to share our struggles. You know, all of us have lied at, at one time or another. We all are going to struggle with that. And we need to be willing to humble ourselves and go to our kids and perhaps tell them about a time that we told a lie and what the consequences were and why it would have been so much better to be truthful in the first place. Mm. Even if we, even if it was hard to be truthful, it is always the best thing to tell the truth. No, that's good. All right, let's move to defiance. Uh, defiance is another behavior that parents have to deal with. I mean, it's one of those normal things that kids tend to express. Mm-hmm. Um, you weren't against making excuses for kids uh, who defy mom or dad, so tell me why. We don't want to make excuses for their behaviors because then we're not, again, we're not taking the time to train them in what is right. I was in, um, I have a, a really good story about that. I was in Chick-fil-A I don't know, years ago, and it's typical Chick-fil-A where there's like, you know, 10 registers, a bazillion people in line, and I'm in the back of one of these lines, and standing beside me is this mom with her two small kids, and for uh, probably the first five minutes, they were behaving very well. I mean, I was was looking, I'm thinking, wow, yes, it's like, wow, and I don't know what happened, because I didn't see what happened before this, but what I did see is all of a sudden, one sibling rears back and slaps the other sibling upside the head. Mm. And this frazzled mom looks at her child as if he had turned into a green three-headed alien as she says, why do you act like that? And, you know, I wanted to butt in. I didn't, but I wanted to butt in and say, because he's a sinner. Why wouldn't he act like that? (laughs) Well, excuse me, mother. I act like that because I'm (laughs) a sin nature, and therefore I follow (laughs) my flesh often. You're not going to get that answer, probably. That's right. And so instead, uh, you know, and and so I wanted to say, because he's a sinner, why wouldn't he act like that? The question is not, why does he act like that? The question is, what are you going to do about it? And then, and I've done this too. I've made excuses for my kids, and tragically, that's what this mom chose to do. She was embarrassed. We've all been embarrassed by things that our kids do. So I could relate to her being embarrassed, but she looks around instead of addressing it with her child, she looks at all of us standing in line and she feels the need to make excuses. And she says that her son is just so tired. Right. He hasn't had a nap and he's really hungry. And so, you know, at this point I wanted to say, well, I'm tired and hungry too, but I'm not going to slap you upside the head. Now we do need to, we do need to realize though, that these sort of conditions can play a part in, in behavior with small kids, but sin is sin and wrong is wrong. Even if you are tired and hungry, it is sinful to slap somebody upside the head. There's nothing in the scriptures that validates the neglect of training because the child is tired or hungry. Yeah. Yeah. You, you tell a story about your daughter, Alex, tattling on her brother. Tattling's another one. You know, we go from the lying to hey, telling mm-hmm. all the truth on your sibling, mm-hmm. <laughs> but not yourself. Yes. yes. Uh, describe tattling, I guess the definition of it, and then how do you deal with it as a parent? Because some of that intel is pretty good. Mm. 
Yeah. Uh, well, tattling is not a good thing because first, it's really going to create um, disharmony in the relationship of the siblings. Lack of trust. Lack of trust. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I remember Alex really struggled with tattling for a while. And I remember she, I think she and her brother were probably arguing about something outside because uh, she, anytime they were arguing, that's typically how it ended would be with her coming to tattle to try to get him in trouble. So I remember I'm in the kitchen. She comes running in the house and she says, Mom, you said that we're not allowed to be playing down in the creek and Wesley is down there catching tadpoles in it. Now, I've told you that Alex is my theatrical child, so you could always tell exactly what she was thinking. I could tell she was totally thinking, so what are you going to do about it and can I watch? (laughs) Yeah, because this will be entertaining. That's right. Now, see, now if I were in the middle of something or in the heat of the moment, I might find myself, and I did sometimes, not relying on God's wisdom but my own. And in doing that, that would look like, okay, we'll just go tell Wesley to come here and I'll deal with it. But in doing that... I would fail to pull out what's going on in her heart and yeah. what God says about tattling. And so I might ask, I always started out with a heart probing question. So I might say, you know, Alex, honey, could it be that you are delighting in getting your brother in trouble? Now, when I asked that question, she looked as if she were considering that question and leaning toward the yes end of it. (laughs) And so I reminded her about um, the verse in Proverbs that says, he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Now, calamity is a big word, and she was a little girl, so I worded it the way she could understand. I said, honey, if you are delighting and taking joy and getting your brother in trouble, then you will get in trouble because that's not right. And so that's what to put off tattling. And then what to put on, which is step three, is encouragement. And so I might say, you know, in Hebrews, it says that we're to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. What could you have said to Wesley to encourage him to do the right thing, which would be not to play in the creek because they weren't allowed to be playing in the creek? Okay, well, that's good. Go back and say those words to him and encourage him. And, you know, when siblings are taught to spur one another on towards what's right instead of trying to take delight in getting them in trouble, boy, that really builds, hmm. cultivates unity in that sibling relationship. Yeah, that, this is good. Uh, for the parent who is listening saying, man, it's just too late. You know, my kids are in their teens or maybe their later teens, and a lot of their behavior is manifesting now, Mm -hmm. and I haven't done enough to ask the right questions to guide them, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Is there hope for them? There is definitely hope. And, you know, God is sovereign. He knew that they would be hearing some of the things that they're hearing today on Focus on the Family. And God wants them to be encouraged with what they're hearing. And so it is never too late to start. So to that parent, I would say, you know, it may be necessary um, just to go to your child and just apologize and just say, you know, I, I heard some things that um, that God tells me to do in the Bible about that it's my responsibility to try train you in wisdom and to train you in what's right, to teach you to obey. And, you know, I haven't been doing that. Mm. And so will you forgive me? And then just go over the new standard and talk about what the Bible says about the parent's responsibility and the child's responsibility to respond to the parent in obedience and then just start fresh. Yeah. Uh, What wonderful insights that you have. And you've Mm. packed them all into this great book. I can't believe you just said that. And I guess I would say, I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) All that good stuff. And for parents who, you know, feel like they've blown it, like every parent does at some Mm -hmm. point, this will give you really practical um, insights on how to train up your child at age-appropriate stages to say the right things, to ask the right questions, Mm -hmm. 
to encourage them in the right direction in their faith and in their maturity mm-hmm. emotionally. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Well, we'll invite your call if you have any questions about getting a copy of Ginger's book or if you're just in a dead-end spot in your parenting and you need some encouragement. Uh, We have a lot of resources. We have some great folks on the phone and even a counseling team uh, if you need something a little more in-depth. Call today. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, or online you can find the help you need at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. You know, John, also, we often say this, but we want to get this resource into your hands. So we are listener supported. If you can make a gift of any amount, maybe become a monthly pledger to Mm -hmm. focus. Um, Or if you can just make a one-time gift, uh, we'll send the book by Ginger Hubbard. I can't believe you just said that as our way of saying thank you. And if you can't afford it, we want you to be the best parent you could be. We're uh, trusting that the Lord will uh, provide enough through other friends that if you seriously cannot afford it, just get a hold of us and we'll get it into your hands on a faith basis. Mm -hmm. So thank you for doing that, and we appreciate your prayers and support. And again, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Well, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.